All right, Titus chapter 2. This is a very important section that I've been looking at and this morning and tonight especially. Tonight, the text we're going to be looking at tonight in 2 Peter has impacted me probably more than any passage that I've really confronted in a long time. It really has been just right in my lap for me. Uh, so I'm anxious, kind of looking forward to that tonight. It's a real good passage, very needed passage. All right. Paul is talking to Titus of writing him and encouraging him uh, about uh, going, working, continuing working with the church, churches at Crete. And uh, he's now been dealing with him about some issues. He's getting into things that make sound doctrine. And he's going to be talking, he's dividing the church up into groups. And we're going to get down today looking at young women, young men, and stuff like that. But uh, let's ask his blessing on this time first. Father, we do thank you for the privilege that we have to come before you. It is a privilege, um, a privilege that I know that I do not appreciate as I should, and I guess all of us at times take prayer for granted, but when you think about the fact that we have access to the throne of the universe and the undivided, the, the undivided attention of the sovereign on that throne, and that you have stooped to our level to listen to us and that you are concerned and you're able to act. And when we have all of that access before us, it's a wonder that we don't spend much more time in prayer to you. Thank you for this time. I ask your blessing upon this fellowship. We're kind of small this morning, but we pray that you would bless this time and use your word, especially in the life of the speaker who um, is, is really not well qualified to sit up here that there, that i'm not the perfect example that uh that the lord jesus is the one that we want to hear from and so i pray that that's what will happen we'll hear from him his words will will be clear in our hearts and minds and that you will work in our lives to bring glory to his name and that you'll help us to be effective in building his kingdom and that we will see fruit that will revert, re, result from the meeting here today and those that are listening that would exalt uh, his work and uh, that his, his uh, followers and disciples would become more numerous and more committed. So I just pray these things, ask you to work, give us wisdom as we're looking at these, these uh, verses uh, in Titus. And I pray that in, in Jesus' name with thanksgiving, amen. Well, we're looking at uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And in that passage, the, the apostle writing Timothy has been talking to him about exhorting with sound doctrine and refuting those that contradict. And then he's turning to Titus and he says, but as for you, you need to speak the things that are fitting for sound doctrine. And then he's going to kind of elaborate that insofar as the lives of some individuals. Sound doctrine is healthy doctrine, things that are in harmony with God's word and God's truth. And so that's what he's doing. And we started out looking, first of all, at older men. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, um, and perseverance that we are as older men setting the example, and that's an important example, 
He turns from older men to older women. We've already looked at all of this, is why I'm rushing through it. Older women, uh, likewise, in the same avenue as men, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women. Uh, that is what older women are to be involved in. And then last time we looked at young women and what he uh, has to say here to young women, he says um, the older women are to be teaching younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. We looked at those things. We've talked about those things, and uh, I'm sure that if, if you're listening to me over the internet or if you're listening to me by tape, you're aware that these things that Titus uh, Paul has been encouraging Titus to uh, communicate here are not things that are popular in our day and time. Encouraging the young women, for example, to love their husbands is is very important. Uh, they, we talked about loving as being uh, being kind to and being loving with and uh, sensitive to. We're in a culture in which everything is reversed. We are trying to get everybody to love us and to do kind things to us rather than us extending ourselves out to love others and be kind to those. But here is a passage that Paul is telling Timothy, uh, in telling Titus to encourage these older women to teach the younger women to love their husbands. And further on, we'll look at to love their children, to be kind to and to set an example in the home of being good to and polite to and showing grace, grace to their husbands. That's an important thing. It kind of sets the mood, I think, of the family when you have a kindness uh, and love being, being showed like that at home. Then, uh, the next thing that he says there is not just loving husbands, but loving children. This is we're skipping down to love their children. The same thing is true with loving husbands. Um, elders are managers of the family. We see the, the scriptures talk a lot about the family and about the relationship between the husband and the wife and the family and the children and some of the, the administrative policies that take place in the family. Uh, elders who are managers of the family are uh, told to be controlling their kids with all dignity. That's a passage that talks about those things. It's in First Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 4, where he says that elders are, must be the one who manages his own household well. That's, why is that? That's important for leadership to take care of the family, to control their family. And not only that, but to control their children and to do it in a way that's dignified without having to fly off the handle or throw things across the room or even yell. Um, also widows, in, in the, down in verse, verse 9 of chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, a widow is to be put on the list if she's not less than six years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works. And if she has brought up children, if she has shown, hosp shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. This list that I've been rambling on quickly just shows the importance 
of someone being involved in the home, of caring for the home, of caring for people, of providing good things, good services to those in the home, because the home is a is a place where the love of Christ can be displayed as a place where people are organized together in a close proximity. And it's important that this kind of relationship exists there so that it honors the Lord. Down in verse 14 of chapter 5, he says, Therefore I encourage younger women to get married, to bear children, to keep house, to give the enemy no occasion of reproach for some. Um, have already turned aside to follow Satan. So you've got here a kind of a contrast between either doing the things that we should do in the home and loving the, the um, bearing children, loving the family and doing these things, or to turn aside from that. And the contrast is to follow the, the pattern that Satan is trying to instill in the world and the flesh and the devil. And so these are important things. They, they seem like they're not, but they're really important. And they fly in the face of a lot of popular teaching and a lot of popular uh, stress in our culture. The second, the next thing in that list is to be sensible. We've talked about this before, so I won't belabor this too much. It's from the word sopram, and it um, it just talks about being sober-minded, serious, earnest. The words are used for elders in First Timothy three two and Titus one eight. It's also used of older men in Titus two two, which is where we saw it before. And here is just saying that they are to be sensible, um, I like to think of the, the early church as being a church in which you see the spiritual gifts manifested, but as the, the church grew and more people came to know the Lord, the spiritual gifts that were given at the early church seemed to be more and more cultivated and developed. And one of them is the gift of discernment, which is kind of related to this sense, being sensible and having discernment. Discernment is more than just being gifted with discernment. As a, a person grows in the word and in the knowledge of the word and begins to obey the word, he develops an ability to, to see truth from error and to be able to apply the scriptures more and more to areas of life and to have discernment. The spiritual gifts that were given to the very, very early church were gifts given to people because the church had no maturity. And so gifts were given to give maturity to the, the members. But as the church grew and new generations were added, believers would be taught in the church, raised in the church, and, and given counsel and growth. And they would grow in their wisdom and grow in their discernment. And so these are things that are to be pursued and developed in the church to be sensible, to have good judgment. Uh, and uh, to conduct yourself uh, in a way that shows a reflection and a, an appreciation for what God says and what he does. The next word in the list is the word pure. I am sort of moving kind of quickly through this list, but um, because these are things that we we know about, but purity is, is um, I think one writer said he was a freedom from defilements or impurities uh, in a more restrict, restricted area. One writer said it's not only has to do with being chaste, but also this purity has to do with uh, uh, being associated with being a virgin, and not just sexual purity, but, but uh, a person that is pure and clean, clean of heart, clean of mind. And uh, obviously, 
my heart, my life was not clean because I came to the Lord late in life, later in life. And so I've done things I shouldn't have done. But that's true with most of us. And yet when we come to the Lord, he cleans our heart, doesn't he? He purifies our life. And so that we become uh, cleansed. The word cleansed is used in the Old Testament a lot of times to speak about lives that uh, are coming before the Lord to worship. And it talks about being cleansed from sin, cleansed from defilement, cleansed from a guilty conscience. And uh, this is what this is what God can do. Remember Peter in the, with the disciples of the upper room when Jesus was, was talking about washing their feet. And he got to Peter, and Peter said, you shall never under any circumstances wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, Peter, you have no part in me. And he said, well, then wash me all over. Well, Jesus took that statement and used that as an analogy that he was cleansed, doesn't need to be re-cleansed, only his feet are soiled. It's just a little daily cleansing, you see. And uh, that's true. Once we come to the Lord, he has cleansed us from the inside, but we need that, that daily cleansing. And so here's this word, pure that speaks of, of, of cleansing. I think one of the words that is, it's actually related to the word holy. And a word that is, is I, I would put into the category to describe this is the word modest. I think it would be apropos that uh, it, it refers to being pure, holy, modest. Paul says to Timothy, likewise, this is 1 Timothy 1, 2, 9, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing modestly as and discreetly not with braided hair and gold and pearls or costly garments and you might say well what's wrong with with braided hair and gold and and costly garments and it's not so much just the braided hair it's it's what it is intended to do to show off to draw attention to yourself i like to draw attention to myself you can tell by my sports coats i wear the loud colors i like to like to be the center of attention and i but i, I don't want it to be for the wrong reason i like the color i just i just like it and uh, so here is a place where women are, are wearing braided hair, gold, pearls, costly uh, garments. And he's saying not to do that, but rather by means of good works, which is proper for women making a claim to godliness. So that let your works really draw attention to you rather than just your hair that sits up or showy, things like that. Let your works be the things that draw attention to you. And so, and this actually, I think, would apply to all of us. Uh, we, we want to, to um, have a life that draws attention to us in a good way. That is, we want Jesus to see. I appreciate what Rick said this morning with his friend. He was praying with him, and his friend commented that you must really love Jesus or, or love God. What he said, love God. And uh, yes, sir, that's a good thing. That's really a good thing. And I, I would like for that to be true with me. And I'd like that to be true with all of us, that God would work in our hearts so that we would overflow with the love for the Lord and that that purity of heart, that purity of life, that modesty would permeate every area of life. I don't mean to say that we would be doormats that, uh, or, or would be trash, but rather that we, we desire to follow Jesus Christ. That's what's important. That's what matters. That's the issue of life. And, and I'll have to say that's not always the issue as it should be in my life. And it's probably not yours either. It's that, that it should be. And we want that to be. Then he goes on, workers at home is another one. Um, one of the best passages for that that I found 
is the passage in Proverbs, and you're familiar with it, the excellent wife, Proverbs 31. Let me just read from that. This is Proverbs 31. I'm going to begin at verse 10. And if you're listening to me over the internet, and you can get this, you might want to open it up to that, because this is a very powerful statement about the excellent wife. It says in Proverbs 31, 10, an excellent wife who can find. Listen to this. For her worth is far above jewels. Her worth, in God's estimation, is far worth far more than jewels. The heart of the husband trusts in her. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I can say that was true of the lane. I trusted the lane. I didn't have any, any hesitation with her. She was a good woman. She was a better wife than I deserve, and I really appreciate her, and I trusted in her and didn't have any, never had any problem, which I had any question whatsoever about her. Now, that's a valuable, valuable, valuable resource. It, it really is. To have somebody by your side that you trust like that. He will have no lack of, um, the husband will have no lack of gain with this kind of wife. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life, which means that she's not kind of a moody where some days she's doing good, other days she's pushing him aside and walking, walking all over him. She's doing him good all the days of her life. And you know there are going to be some days in which she's not completely fulfilled, perhaps, or not, things are not going the way she wants. And she might feel justified to maybe turn around and, but she doesn't. She doesn't good all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and her portions to her maidens. She considers a field. Hmm, she looks at it. I'm going to buy it. She does. And then she takes that and she takes her earnings and she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and she makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good and her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. She stretches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household. And for all, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Listen to this. Her husband is known in the gates. That's the sitting there with the, the elders, the dignities, the leaders, if you will, of that culture where the gates, where they assemble uh, in a place of assembly. Her husband is known there with those men. And when he sits, he sits among the leaders of that land, of that nature. So he's in an important area. And just let me say this, she is one of the big reasons why. I've told you before that I am convinced, biblically speaking, that the husband holds in his hand the key to the success and failure of his family. The wife holds in her hands the key to the success and failure of her husband's vocation. And I think here's a good illustration of that. Because of her support and her covering up him, if you will, I shouldn't say covering up, but backing him and giving him help and support and speaking about him and supporting him, he has risen to a, has risen to an area of leadership. And I think that's a good thing. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she smiles at the future. That's a good thing, isn't it? To be able to look at the future and smile. So that means a clear conscience among other things. She opens her mouth in wisdom 
and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, and he praises her, saying, many, have many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm, well, it's deceitful. And beauty, yeah, it's vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands. Let her works praise her in the gates. That's where the, the, the leaders uh, assemble. So here's this woman. They, obviously, no woman can do all of these things all the time. This is a monumental task, but it, it describes a woman and the, the benefit and the profit of how she is so valuable. It shows a lot of the things that women can do. You see what I'm saying? To be productive in the home and to support the family. And most of all, because it centers around the husband and the family, everything centers around that. Most of all, that family can be an instrument in God's hand to affect other people for his glory. That's what you want. And so the woman can be satisfied and be fulfilled, being a mother, keeping house, working home. That's, that's very important. We're living in a day when almost all women are working outside the home. We use the modern conveniences and time-saving devices, which makes housework easier, which gives us more time. But still, the home is the focal point of scripture. John MacArthur wrote, the point is not so much that a woman's place is in the home as that her responsibility is for the home. And that's a priority. Children need a mother at home as well. It is a difficult choice to make when we're talking about the economy that you need kind of a double income to provide a comfortable lifestyle. Much, much prayer, and I think soul searching should go into the decisions to leave the home. The home is the best place for wives to love their husbands. It's the place where we set the best example for our children that we can see the example of love. It's a place that where women are protected from abusive situations if they go out into the work uh, workplace. It's the best place for hospitality. It's the best place to find fulfillment as a mother and a wife. I know that this is not you know, the rumbles of this are not popular, but God has established the home. He did not make a mistake. It is a good idea, and uh, it is not to be considered some kind of a secondary um, issue to be a mother and a wife, and much more important to be a, an executive. It's not much more important to be an executive. Nothing is more important than taking care of the responsibility at home. So that's that's really important. He goes on, beg your pardon? It's true for men. Yes, it is. It is. It certainly is. He goes on to kinds the next one, to be a good character. Those of you that are listening by internet, my son just said it's true for men too. And so. Uh, that is true. It, that is certainly is absolutely true. But both of us. But to be a good character is the, the idea of being kind, virtuous, upright in heart. Um, Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. And then to be subject to their own husbands. Uh, Peter talks about that. And... Um, this is going to, I've got a lengthy passage I want to read to you. In 1 Peter, if you want to have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, we're going to start reading. Peter is talking about this, and he starts out by saying, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. Now, let's stop there for just a moment. First question we need to ask when we get to that text, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. Ask the question, in the same way as what? The same way as what? 
Well, for that answer, you need to back up to First Peter 2, and we can go to verse 13. I'm just going to read it. It's a long, it's a lengthy text, several verses, but just follow along. Peter is talking about submission. He starts out, verse 13 says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So he's talking about submission, and he's not just talking about wives. He's talking about all of us submitting in every case to human institutions. There's what he says. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, not every case, but for the Lord's sake to every institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as set by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do right. Verse 15, for this or such is the will of God that you do right, that you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as, a, as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. All right, now we'll stop there just for a moment because we are in a situation now in this country where we are seeing churches that are beginning to, to back up from some of these federal government restrictions about COVID and separation and stuff like that. And see, so we have two masters before, two authorities over us. We have the authority of scripture and we have the authority of the government. And sometimes those two conflict. And when they conflict, then we want to, to if, it's, uh, if, it's, if it's a serious thing, for example, if we do have people that are dying all over the place with COVID, then we can see that and we would back off. But if we have um, the CD, the, the uh, huh? see, CDC making statements that these things are not that big a deal now and that they're passing away and the government's still saying that you need to separate, you can't meet, then we need to obey Christ rather than man. And that's, that's the decision the churches are being made. And there is some degree of feedback from that, some degree of opposition for that. That's okay. Wherever you obey God, there are going to be some kind of ramifications. But we have to do what is right, what we believe before God in our own mind, because there are two authorities, and we want to follow, first of all, the authority of God, but then secondly, and the authority of God, part of it is to obey our, those leaders over us. So we need to take that seriously. We can't just laugh at it. He goes on to verse 18 saying, and this is another big one, servants or slaves, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. This pleases God. This finds favor with him. If for the sake of your conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrow when suffering unjustly. Boy, that, that is not popular today at all. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer, for it, you patiently endure it, thus this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his step, suffering for Christ, who committed no sin, nor was in deceit found in his mouth. In other words, he was innocent. And yet he was reviled. What did he do? We talked about this morning in Sunday school. He did not revile in return. While he was suffering, he uttered no threats. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. You know what? The Lord, the Lord Jesus, being God, could have brought a lot of infliction upon a lot of people real quick. 
but he didn't. He kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously, and he himself bore our sin in his own body on the cross so that he might, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And that's the thing he's, he's saying here is he died for us so that we can die to self and live to him. For by his wounds you were healed, you were fixed, you were, you were repaired, you were straightened out, you were saved. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. So this is the way that Peter refers to back up in 1 Peter chapter 3 when he says, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, just like we are submissive to governors and authorities and slaves to masters and others. In the same way, be submissive to your own husbands, um, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. And so this is part of that text that we're looking at where he talks about telling husbands to be subject, wives to be subject to their husbands. It's not because the husbands are better. It's not because the husbands are smarter. I'm a good example of that. My wife was much smarter than, and uh, in every way just about far ex exceeded me, but she was submissive because she loved Jesus. <laughs> and she was submissive to him. And that's what we want to do. We want to be submissive to the Lord, not because of any self-pride or whatever, or giftedness, but because God says to do it. And because he says to do it, that's what we need. That's what we need to do. And so we want to do that. All right. Uh, finally, the last one, and we'll, we'll stop with this. Um, and that is, these, these things are done so that the word of God will not be dishonored. The word of God will not be dishonored. That idea of dishonor is related to the word blaspheme. Blaspheme means to hurt the reputation of or to smite with uh, reports or words, to speak evil of, to slander, to rail against. We don't want to slander or rail against or give reason or accusation against the word of God. And this is what this passage says, do these things even though they may be humbling at times, and I've had, I've had on occasion uh, with my wife, I've had people make snide remarks about her, thinking, not thinking for herself or whatever, but uh, she was obedient to the Lord, and, and uh, I'm very thankful, and she was very thankful uh, that has happened, but when we obey the word of God, that's important. We don't want to bring slander to the word of God. And so how does a person blaspheme the word of God? This is what I'm thinking. I have two questions, then I'll be done. How does one blaspheme the word of God, and what is the result of blaspheming the word of God? Those two things I want to take just a few minutes. It won't be long to look at. How do we blaspheme the word of God? Well, I'm sure that, that I can get, we get a lot of answers for that, but I'm going to go back to the text here and look at the things in the context of this statement and see those things, if we do them, we won't blaspheme, but if we don't do them, we will blaspheme. And so let's just look at the, some of those things. The first thing, according to our text, um, uh, is rebellion against the authority of the husband. That's one way to bring reproach to God's word, by rebelling against the authority that God's put over us. And the, the wife's case, rebelling against her husband, when she rebels against her husband, she's calling into question what God says. Uh, she's living in a way that dishonors the word of God and shows it kind of blasphemies, makes fun of it. That's one thing. Secondly, or another one is um, evidently a bitter and unkind, vicious, barbastic, cruel imp, uh, temperament also brings reproach against God's word. We're bitter, we're blaspheming, and 
complaining all the time, that also brings reproach against God's work. God is not on the throne anymore for, for us, and that, that brings disrespect to the Word of God. Also, ignoring the home and other biblical assigned roles dishonors the Word of God. When, when the roles that God has given us, when we step out of that, when we decide that we want to do our own thing our way and ignore the responsibility God has given to us, we are bringing reproach and dishonor to the Word of God. Also, a lack of purity, a lack of holiness, uh, living for just personal self-fleshly uh, gain dishonors God's word and brings reproach to God's word. Uh, also, not being sensible, being unsound, being unbiblical, unwise, um, to listen, listening too easy to bad advice or popular things, letting the things that we see perhaps on TV or in the movies, influence our decisions and our way of life. Those things also are a way that we dishonor God's word. Basically, and this is the last one I'm going to use for that, basically any disobedience or disregard for God's word is to blaspheme, it is to, to uh, call it into reproach. It's really important that we take it seriously. It's really important that we listen and seek to follow God's word and to do that, we have to know it. We have to be in it, right? You have to study it. Now, the second question, the first question was, how do we blaspheme God's word? The second question is, what's the result of blaspheming God's word? And again, um, I thought of several things throughout scripture that I can do, but I want to draw your attention to one chapter, and that's Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's comprised of 167 verses, and that whole chapter, Psalm 119, is a chapter that is, is a chapter that is devoted to the display and the beauty and the precision and the power of God's word. Every verse in that psalm, in one way or another, relates in one way or another to the scripture. Either calling the scripture by the different synonyms like the testimonies of the Lord or the commandments of the Lord or the word of the Lord or the precepts of the Lord. All of these things, the fear of the Lord, all of these things, different words that are used in Psalm 119 to describe aspects of God's word. Furthermore, the structure of the entire chapter, Psalm 119, is very interesting. It's being 167 verses, if you take that and divide it up into 22 sections, you get eight verses each. Each section has eight verses through Psalm 167. 22 sections, each section has eight verses. Each section also corresponds with one letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You have 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, Hebrew alphabet and each section in that psalm if you take your bible and you look at psalm 119 you'll probably see it does in mind that each section begins with a different letter the first one is aleph the second one is beth and so it goes down the the hebrew alphabet and let's just take the first section because that's what i'm going to look at you take the first eight verses under the section for the what we would call the corresponding hebrew letter a each verse begins in that section with the Hebrew letter A. The second section, each letter begins with the Hebrew letter for B. And all the way down through the alphabet, each verse begins with that letter that corresponds to that Hebrew letter 
in the the in that section. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's it's a very interesting structure. It's a very interesting way of doing prose, but I think it's done that way to show us the beauty and the the uh, organizational uh, precision of God's word. Having said all of that, I'm going to read through the first eight verses, and I'm going to look at the verse, and then I'm going to point out the result of not doing what that verse says. Just, the, I mean, it, this is a monumental task, but this is just eight verses, and what are the results of not following what these verses say? So let's begin. Psalm 119, verse 1 says, how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Well, the opposite of that is failure to walk in the law of the Lord is to forfeit the blessing of the Lord on your life and on your conscience, to forfeit that. In other words, is to go through life on your own without God's blessing, without God's wisdom, without God's direction in your conscience. That's a major loss when you have god's wisdom when you have the creator of the universe that created us and knows us perfectly and he's given us this precise set of instructions and now he's backed off and we've ignored that and we're going through life on our own that's a that's a very serious loss verse two uh, how blessed are those who observe his testimonies who seek him with all their heart to ignore his testimonies is to abandon his wisdom and to go your own way is to seek something besides him in your life. It's to seek something else. It's to abandon him and abandon his wisdom. You cannot profit from that. You can't do it. God's way, the one who created us knows us. He goes on to say, blessed are those who observe his testimonies. So we've lost that blessing. We've lost that wisdom. We've lost that opportunity if we turn away from God's word and we go our own way. Verse 3. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. Means that you lose his direction for living. Um, you lose his righteousness. You don't have that, that uh, moral stability. You're enslaved in unrighteousness and sin. We see that in our culture today. Yeah, the more we push away from God's word, the more enslaved we are, the more perverted we are, the more messed up we are. Verse 4. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Our lives lose the divine to designed wisdom, the precepts that God has ordained for us. We lose that wisdom for living. We lose that, that, that uh, set of instructions that gives us wisdom in all the areas of life as to how we can function and how we can live. We lose that. We turn away from that. Verse 5. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Our lives are filled so often with trivia. We're adrift now on a sea of confusion because we've turned from the ways, God's ways, God's words. We have not been established on his word. And so we are living in, I guess, in a sea of confusion, adrift um, in a bunch of trivia. We've lost that because we've turned our back on God's word. Verse 6. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. Uh, we're living a life that's lived, ignoring God's commandments is a failure. It's a life of shame. It's a life of, of uh, embarrassment. We have lost that. Verse 7. 
I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn of your righteous judgments. We forsake, we forsake the very boundaries which produce life and blessing and gratitude. We live life but not being thankful, but being grumpy and complaining. We've lost that. <clears throat> we don't have that heart of gratitude inside of us. And we're not learning of the greatness of God and his call for us. And then lastly, verse 8, I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me. Utterly failure to keep his statutes is to live a life that, that uh, God has forsaken, that we are left outside in the cold. We are not in the, in the group of his blessing. We are outside looking in. And we do not have the power to come back in. The closest thing we can do is to get into God's word and read it and let the Lord use that in our lives. That's why I encourage you. And that's why I, I think it's important that we invest time every day in God's word, because that is the source for our strength and wisdom. And that is the channel that God uses to really help us grow and to be pleasing unto him. Well, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for these words that we're looking at from Psalm 118 and the blessings that they promise to us. They do, they do us no good and they mean nothing to us unless we pursue them, unless we obey them. Thank you for your, for your patience with us. Help us to be faithful, to do the things that we know we should do. We don't have the capacity to make our hearts open. We're talking this morning about Jesus and the, the Pharisees and how they were, how he was trying to reach them, but they were cold and cold-hearted. They actually, if they would humble themselves, if they would just listen, the Lord could work in their hearts. But people are hard and hard-hearted and stubborn. I pray that those that are listening to me today, those that are here with us today, that our hearts will be sen sensitive and uh, moldable that you will be able to work in our lives. Make us instruments through which you can pour your word and your wisdom and your purpose and your hope to the world that we can see others come to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and be his disciples. Help us to be effective in building your kingdom for your glory. I ask it in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen.